Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Marie Bolaños in San Francisco. A historic agreement has been reached between seven western states to cut the amount of water they take from the Colorado River. But what are California's responsibilities under the deal? And which part of the state will be most affected? In Los Angeles, my California Report colleague Saul Gonzalez has the answers. Saul? Hey, Madi. Under the deal, California, the state that uses the most water from the Colorado River, will be responsible for a big share of reductions, up to 1.6 million acre-feet of water. What's an acre-foot? It's about 326,000 gallons, or the amount of water that three average-sized homes need over the course of a year. And there's a carrot if California reduces its reliance on the Colorado River, part of more than $1 billion in federal funds that will go to irrigation districts, cities and tribes that cut their draw from the river. The Imperial Valley in the southeastern corner of the state will be one of the places most affected by the agreement. Annually, the valley's farmlands use more Colorado River water than all of Arizona and Nevada combined. In a statement, Henry Martinez, the general manager of Imperial Valley's irrigation district, said he was pleased that a deal had been struck based on what he said were voluntary and achievable conservation volumes. Looking ahead, though, water experts say in an age of climate change, much more has to be done to conserve more Colorado River water. Madi? Thanks, all. That's my California Report colleague, Saul Gonzalez. California officials say they're much more optimistic that communities near Tulare Lake in the Central Valley will not experience widespread flooding from the melting snowpack. Brian Ferguson with the State Office of Emergency Services says improving weather conditions means widespread flooding is unlikely. About a month ago, computer models showed that communities like Corcoran, Alpa, and Allensworth would likely see floods that threatened homes. The state has bolstered levees around Corcoran, and farmers have been diverting more water for irrigation. But officials do warn that conditions could change quickly, and that the region is not completely out of the woods. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. California's lawmakers have been scrambling to address the state's fentanyl overdose crisis. The synthetic opioid is 50 times stronger than heroin, and it's the cause of nearly 6,000 deaths in California in 2021, according to data from the California Department of Public Health. But the state legislature is split on the best approach to tackling this crisis, treatment or punishment. Here to talk about these two approaches is Anita Chabrier, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Hi, Anita. Hi, thanks for having me on. Of course. You've written about two fentanyl crises that are playing out in California. One is the urban street catastrophe and the other is the suburban nightmare. Can you explain the difference between the two? I think that, you know, we hear about fentanyl and we've seen the campaigns where one pill kills and we sort of think of it as this very deadly, you even see the stuff and you're in trouble kind of drug. But the reality is, is that it is the drug of choice on the streets. So people are actually buying fentanyl and buying the highest quality fentanyl they can find in order to inject it or smoke it. And so we have an entire um, population of folks who are addicted to fentanyl and know they're addicted to fentanyl, and that is the drug of choice. On the other side of that, you know, you, you hear about kids getting pills off Snapchat and those folks don't necessarily, they're not seeking out fentanyl. It might come in the form of something they think is Adderall or Oxy or something like that. But in fact, most of those pills at this point are, are manufactured with fentanyl because it's cheaper and easier to do. Uh, so those are the two the two different populations that we have that are being affected by fentanyl. And how is the state legislature dealing with these two populations? There are two very different camps going right now. One is sort of led by the legislators who maybe have uh, personal experience with prior drug wars like the war on crack or live in urban areas and really see what's happening at the street level with fentanyl. And the other side of it is legislators who are really aligned with the parents of these suburban kids who have very tragically died from being exposed to fentanyl pills when they didn't know they were getting it. And that group really uh, is advocating for more arrests, more crackdowns, possibly even forced treatment for folks, and kind of a, an old school approach that we used during the crack epidemic that 
we learned does not work. Yeah, you mentioned the punishment proposal, and we know it's a touchy subject. Many families who have lost teens to fentanyl overdose want that justice. What did the experts that you spoke to say? I don't want to in any way um, not support those parents and their path of grieving. But what the experts tell us very, very clearly is, is that punishment does not work. And even sweeping fentanyl up off the streets without going after those big cartels, it just doesn't make a difference because the reason we're in the fentanyl crisis is because smaller quantities go farther and it's easier to make. So you're looking at a drug that if we seize a batch, they can make another batch the same day. And there is a special session coming up with the state legislature to address the fentanyl crisis here in California. What can we expect from that? This hearing is meant to try to just air all those views and see where there might be places of consensus and and might be ways forward and to just talk the whole thing through and see where we can get. That was Los Angeles Times columnist Anita Chabrier. Thank you so much for your time, Anita. Thank you. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, May 23rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation. Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health. On the web at chcf.org lbca. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.